So let's hear it. Come on. gentlemen, here he comes, the man that you've all been waiting for. Here he comes, the man that all America loves. Here he comes, here he is on the stage now, the star of our show tonight, Gene Shepard. Well, I want to thank my announcer for... Ridiculous introduction. <laughs> and uh, we're here tonight at the limelight. And uh, I must say, before I go any further, that I am looking down on a scene of debauchery. <laughs> a scene of wanton decadence. A scene of rampant Epicureanism. <laughs> the likes of which have not been seen since the first play-by-play -play announcer did a remote from Gomorrah itself. <laughs> and all I can say to you is that I hope that this, that this creeping decadence that is visible right here does not sneak out into New Jersey. <laughs> we are here tonight to protect the mores of the sovereign garden state the only state in the Union that has a gigantic flagship right there in the middle of U.S. 22. <laughs> uh, wouldn't you love to live in that place? <laughs> what a pad, man. <laughs> and so we salute tonight New Jersey, the pizza state. Let's hear it. <laughs> we want to salute tonight. We want to salute New York. The frozen... Shut up. The frozen Dairy Queen state. Let's hear it. New York, the make-out state. Yes, sir. They're going all the way. We want to salute tonight any of you out there who are from Indiana. The lost state. Oh, we can sympathize with you out there. <laughs> Now, shh, 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 let's not have shouting yet. Wait a little while, son. Either that or out on 7th Avenue. We can arrange that. All right. What's that? Oh, okay, thank you. Shall I go on, friends? Or shall we slide him next door to Pam Pam's? I knew he was going to be trouble right away. You can always tell him. All right. We're at the limelight, and you know, it's the end of August now. In just a week is Labor Day. And all over America, the great unrest, the great nervousness is setting in. Have you seen those ads that say, back to school? Ooh. All right, let's give an anti-intellectual hiss. He's doing his bit already. Let's go. Yes. All right, it's, it's... What's the matter with you tonight? Did you come to do your own show or what? Be quiet about it, okay? You know, the worst kind of heckler is the guy who's on your side. Because you can't really hit him in the mouth. I'll never forget doing a show one night in a nightclub. We might as well bring it out in the open. 
And there, there's this crowd out there, see, and it's a dark, little, tight nightclub. You know the kind where you can hear pins dropping in the ladies' room? And everybody sits and tries to hear them? <laughs> you know, that kind of scene, you know? It's one of these little, tight nightclubs, and I'm doing this thing. See, there's a little, there's a little spotlight on me. And every time I reach a psychological moment of what I'm doing, you know, this is this little pregnant, dramatic pause, and I said, and there he was. He stood there looking at me, and this drunk says, give him hell, chef. <laughs> and he thought he was helping me. <laughs> well, these, these are the little problems that you have to face in this American night. And you know, since it is August, and most of us have that faint feeling that once again we have loused up. Another summer has gone off into the darkness. We didn't even get a tan. We didn't do anything, you know. And the few times you got out to Jones Beach, you got out there at 20 minutes after 7. <laughs> after three and a half hours in traffic on the turnpike, you got out there 20 minutes after 7 and all they had was a couple of cold hot dogs. And the fist bites were breaking out in the darkness out there, you know, on those blankets. You stood there a couple of minutes. The sun is going down. You say, I ought to get to the beach more often. That's yeah, great out here. And then you hear the sound of the traffic going, turning around and going back to the city. And another summer debauch is over for you. Seven minutes of slanting sun. And then another two and a half hours on Utopia Parkway. Isn't that a great name for a road? Have you seen Utopia Parkway? Garbage all the way, cigar butts, beer cans. It says Utopia there by George. <laughs> yeah, and then, incidentally, how would you like to go? The only high school I know that has that problem. How would you like to live in a $20 a month flat on Utopia Parkway? Knee deep in cockroaches? <laughs> and you figure at the other end there is Utopia. Could be at either end. Well, I knew a bunch of guys who went to the greatest named high school I've ever known in my life. Do you know that in Chicago there is a Benedict Arnold High School? <laughs> There really is. <laughs> and they were always so embarrassed, you know. <laughs> they had a big sign, Benedict Arnold, you know. <laughs> and they used to have this great cheer, you know, T-R-E-A-S-O-N, freezing, 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 Benedict, Benedict, Arnold, rah! <laughs> and <laughs> all these guys, their football team performed totally in the dark with black masks. <laughs> So you think I'm kidding. There is a Benedict Arnold High School. And I think part of the American life, part of the American spirit and the character of Americans is in this high school world that we carry into our later life. I wonder how many guys are 58 years old and still think of us as a sophomore <laughs> at Brooklyn Central. Vaguely, you know, inside their head, way down deep. It's very hard, you know, to get rid of this. And I remember, and I'm going to do, if you'll, if you'll just hang on to your hamburgers for a minute. 
I'm going to tell you a story of the great hang-up. How many of you have ever had a hang-up in your life that happened when you were a kid that you have never been able to explain satisfactorily to other people? Like a real hang-up. I wonder how many kids that are growing up today are going to find it very difficult ten years from now in explaining the Beatles. I mean, really, now it seems self-explanatory. But ten years from now, how are they going to explain it? I remember one time I'm sitting there with my old man, you know, we're sitting in the living room, and the radio's going. My, my, my mother is out in the kitchen, you know, making the red cabbage for the week. You know, life is going on. And they're playing on the radio records. You know, there's this guy, he's going along there, and the old man's sitting there with his, with his paper. He's reading about the White Sox latest defeat. Life is going on normally, you know, and you can hear Bruner next door. He's drunk and yelling. The window's breaking. You can hear the sound of pool balls. I wonder how many of you ever grew up in close proximity to a pool room. The sound at 3 o'clock in the morning of cue ball hitting nine ball is a sound that is one of the most restful sounds I know. The sound of that kiss of the cue balls. Well, that was the kind of neighborhood. And this radio is playing old records. The guy is saying, yes, let's go down memory lane now. And now let's take this first little bit of memory laneiana. I'm sure this is going to bring memories to all of you. And he plays this ridiculous record where this chick is going boop-boop-ba-doop. And the old man puts his paper down and says, Hey, listen, man, wow, they're playing our song. And she's going boop-boop-ba-doop. And I looked at the old man and says, What a klutz. Oy. No wonder I'm growing up submerged. Underwater, the old man is a boop-boop-ba-doop fan. And, and this chick is going boop boop a doop you boop a doop and the band is going rick a tick a tick a tick a boop boop a doop and, and after it's all over the old man is sitting there with tears in his eyes he says don't write songs like that anymore <laughs> he was a boop boop a doop fan and then I had to ask him I said dad did you really like that he says like that that was Betty Boop. <laughs> As if the whole world understood. And not only understood, but dug Betty Boop. I says, Betty Boop, oh, wow. So I go out on the porch and I holler to Bruner, who's out on the porch. Old Junior Bruner's out there. He's hiding under the swing. His old man is having a fit, you know. He had one of these beaten daddies. The kind when he gets drunk, starts hitting everything. The wall, you know, get out of my and you hear it, you know, and the kid's out there, he's laying under the swing, and I'll go, hey, Bruner! And Bruner says, what? And I say, hey, Bruner, boop, boop, ba doop. <laughs> and I hear my old man in the kitchen snort. Angry. <laughs> I say, hey, Bruner, boop, boop, ba and Bruner says, what's that? I say, that's my old man's hang-up. Boop, boop, ba doop, how do you like that? Well, it began to be a fad in the neighborhood. All the kids would holler at each other, boop, boop, ba doop. And the old man is bucked. Because we were dealing with his religion. <laughs> and, and, and now, 
as I, as I think back on that, I realize what insensate cruelty the young are capable of. And I am curious about how many 15-year-olders now who really feel that the second coming occurred when John Lennon organized the Beatles, according to the first gospel. I'm curious what they're going to say 10 years from now when some little squirt is sitting there, you know, and there's a guy on the television or on the radio, and he says, now let's go back over the great old days, gang. Let's listen to this crowd. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dun, 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 dun. And this, this kind of paunchy lady comes running out of the kitchen, you know. <laughs> and she says, Ringo! Ringo! <laughs> and out in the garage, this sweaty guy, you know, comes running out from under his Jaguar, hits his head on the transmission. He says, John, John, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's little snot is sitting there, you know. He says, yeah, yeah, what's that, Dad? What's with a yeah, yeah? And he says, yeah, yeah, that's the Beatles, kid, don't you know? And ten minutes later, there's going to be a kid on the breezeway hollering across, hey, Murphy, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it will become one of the fads, you know, that will be a put-down fad. Now, now, as a kid, oh, I remember, oh, and I imagine already the Beatles fans are bridling. How can this be? Because we always have the suspicion that anything we're hung on at that moment is like the apex of it all. You know, it's the summation. How can anything go beyond what it is that we dig now? It's very difficult. Well, I learned this truth the hard way as a kid. Now, how many of you guys sitting around out in the crowd there are, uh, were good students? You remember what they used to call the honor roll? You know, those little rotten fat kids that get the good... <laughs> Well, you know that crowd. How many of you out there are, you know, are still trying to live it down, you know? You're still trying to explain why you got a straight A in English history, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, I, at, at one point in my life, you wouldn't believe it, but at one point in my life, I was one of those kids. I was one of those kids. Yeah, oh, really, I was. You know, they had this honor list, and the reason I wanted to get on the honor list was because there was a name at the head of it, Dawn Strickland. I was madly in love with Dawn Strickland. And Dawn Strickland was at the head of the honor list. You know, it wasn't an honors list. It was, you know, they, they had a thing called, uh, you know, they could put gold stars, anybody who gets over a B average, you're on the honor list, and there it is, you know. And all the rest of the have-nots are not even mentioned. And every day we'd come in and we'd see that list, can you imagine what it would be like in the office <laughs> if they had an honor list at BBD and all? And you'd see all these top guys, you know, these rotten characters, ten of them, you know. And every day you'd come in, you'd sneak past it. 
Well, I wonder how many revolutionists were born because of a C-minus in history. They grew to hate all things representing America. I know one guy who flunked three straight semesters in, in, in American Civil War history. And since that time, he has joined every movement I know of, trying to overdo it. Well, I'm a kid, and I'm getting these great grades. You know, one of these scenes where I would just come in and there was, I have, first of all, I might, might as well tell you that almost everybody who makes it in this world, who really makes it, well, there are, there are two types. There's the dogged. That is the dog. You know what the, the dogged type is? They sit there and they work. These are real sweaters, you know. They sweat and they struggle and they, they spend all of their time diagramming sentences. They really learn the parts of speech and they write themes. How many of you get that nervous feeling in your pit of your stomach when I say theme time, gang? <laughs> oh. <laughs> themes, you know. What if I said tonight, all right, we're going to have a five-minute blue book quiz. We're going to give you a quiz on everything that happened last week. <laughs> and no books. Well, there is a, there are types, there's the dogged. And by the way, the dogged never really goes all the way. The dogged goes part way. And then there's the other type. That's the cutie type. How many of you have made it because you're cute? <laughs> you got a great grin, you know? You just kind of have people that kind of like you, you know? And you work on it, you know? <laughs> you know, you, you work on this cute look. <laughs> you know, it's a, you just can't resist it, can you, gang? You know, old Mr. Leader calls me in about every third day. And, you know, it's one of those things where I get the note, get Shepard into the office now! And I walk in. <laughs> Hi, Bob. He just melts. <laughs> well, I started this with Miss Shields in second grade. From the time I was... Because my grandmother really was responsible for it because I had two or three cousins who could really do stuff. I had one cousin who later went on to become a colonel, you know, that kind of stuff, and he, he became a, an airlines pilot. He ran the 100 yards in 9.7, that kind of stuff. And I had a girl cousin who had won all kinds of awards and was on the gold medal list. And the only way I could survive was by sheer, unadulterated, dynamic, sweaty cuteness <laughs> and you know I just look at my grandmother you know and she'd always say oh isn't he cute <laughs> I'd say oh gee whiz grandma don't say that in front of her I'd say, go on baby go on tell him go on baby let him hear it you know <laughs> well my grandmother started me on the cuteness trail and all of a sudden I find myself in school and there's a name is Shields my second grade teacher, who used to read Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy, she was the only lady I knew who could cry over Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Ann. 
Literally, she could weep over the story of the camel with the wrinkled knees. And she's up there crying about Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy, and I'm plotting. Because the next class after Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy was arithmetic. Oh, isn't that a sick thing? Don't you get that sick feeling? I wonder how many guys are against the so-called new math. You seen this stuff? Because they can't do it. <laughs> I'm serious, you know. I know, I, listen, I know one father who all of his life has said, I want my kid to have all the things that I never got. And so now this little klutz is going to this fantastically, tremendously advanced progressive school. And at the age of two and a half, instead of writing themes about the cat chased the rat, the apple is red, he writes themes that start out with, Dear Dean Rusk. <laughs> Your unilateral trade agreement with Peruvia leaves... Well, it's this kind of scene, and the old man, of course, all of his life has based his life on getting this kid stuff he didn't have. And now this little kid is coming home. He's 10, and the old man has a lifetime subscription to the Daily News. <laughs> he loves the Daily News, you know? He likes those little tiny itsy-bitsy thumbnail editorials, you know? The kind that says, bomb them! You know? Now, wait a minute, gang. Are you for bombing them or what? What is this? <laughs> wow, I'm in the enemy camp here. <laughs> well, he kind of likes that, you know. Well, he has begun to be aware that this little kid who, at the age of nine and a half, received as his top birthday present a three-year subscription to Playboy... <laughs> You know, the poor old man doesn't even understand half the jokes in it. You know? The little kid is saying, hey, listen to this one, Dad, about these two guys that meet on Lexington Avenue and they both got poodles. Ha, 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 ha. The old so what? They like poodles, you know, they like dogs. He says, no. He really realizes his father doesn't even know about these things. Have you had the feeling yourself that there are certain things you cannot discuss with your mother and father? Because they don't know about it. It that it somehow must have happened by osmosis with you. <laughs> you know? Well, all right, this guy, uh, this is a true story, this guy has a kid who comes home at the age of 10, and he brings, he brings his copy of The Reporter home, you know, and he sits at the table and reads it while the old man is reading The Inquiring Photographer. <laughs> You know, have you seen that great issue, that great, uh, that great thing? Or Dear Abby is his idea of an expert, you know. Well, at the age of 10, the kid speaks French, he speaks German, and he is just now beginning on Russian at 10. The old man still has trouble with them and those. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, that, so what? <laughs> so he doesn't know which way to turn. Well, I live like that. My father grew up on the south side of Chicago, in the stockyards. Do any of you know about that part of Chicago? Did you ever read the Studs Lonergan trilogy? Well, believe it or not, my father is a character in that book. 
He grew up one block away from James T. Farrell. And this makes the Lower East Side, seriously, look like Darien. <laughs> oh, you don't know anything about There was a term in Chicago called back of the yards. And when you were back of the yards, you were either a fantastic fist fighter who worked with all the weapons of the trade, brass knuckles, you had bronze kneecaps, <laughs> you had shivs in your jockey shorts, <laughs> or you were dead. There's no in-between, you know? So the old man at the age of 10 was a fist fighter. He really was a fist fighting kid, you know? You had to be to live there. This was the kind of neighborhood where they grew real hairy kids. You know, the kind, they'd spend all their time stealing wire from the Commonwealth Edison Company, riding on the back of streetcars, and now he's grown up. He is working in an office. All of that is behind him. He has a seventh grade education. And I don't know whether you know what seventh grade is, was like on the south side of Chicago, but seventh grade education was really a course in karate. <laughs> That's about all they taught, you know? And in gym, they would just have organized fist fights. Like one half of the class would divide up over here, the other half of the class was divide up over here, and the gym teacher would blow a whistle, and that was riot time. They'd boom like that, and they'd fist fight for 20 minutes, they'd separate them, they'd take the rest of the kids off to the infirmary, and the guys that were left got B+. Plus. Well, all right, you got the scene of my father, see? Speaking of the slums, what radio station is this, gang? AM and FM, New York. <laughs> what did somebody say about New York up there? It's all right. It's all right. This is the big time, gang, isn't it? Why, do you realize half of Cleveland wants to move here? And all of you folks out there who are planning to come here and live, all I can say is New York is a rotten place to visit. Great place to live in, isn't it? Well, if you think you know that kind of defeat, you have to know something about the South Side. The stockyards were right in the middle of the chief social area of the South Side. Now, what was the stockyard? If you can imagine 27 square blocks, well, I don't know how to say this on the radio. <laughs> you know the stuff that you're always knee-deep in at the office? <laughs> you know what I mean, gang? Well, if you can imagine 27 square blocks of a gigantic square filled with nothing but that, <laughs> to the depth of 10 feet, over which 14 million pigs moved quietly. And you know what pigs will do in hot weather, you know, they get, they get nervous and all that kind of stuff. And the wind would blow it all over the south side. And so one of the very first images I have as a kid is going to visit my grandmother who lived on 55th Street and Union. This is the toughest part of the South Side. And one of the earliest images I have is my grandmother 
And she lived in a linoleum house. You know what is it? A, a house that's nothing but linoleum all over, you know? That's for when the blood spills, they just, you know, clean up the beer and all the stuff, you know? She lived in this house that had nothing but linoleum on the floors and the smell of sauerkraut and the stockyards. And at, at 7 o'clock after the meal, my grandmother would say, all right, now, let's all go out on the porch and have a little air before the pinochle game. <laughs> and my father, my grandfather, my mother, my grandmother, and eight cousins, and my Aunt Min would all sit out on what they called the stoop. This is like a little, you know, bunch of wood that sort of leaned down. And they would sit there, and, and they would look off to the west. at the stockyards. <laughs> you know the way people out in the West must look at the Rockies? My grandmother would sit there and you could hear the sound of the sledgehammers hitting steer cattle on the back of the neck, you know, boom, like that. <laughs> and you could smell the stockyards and you'd see the fireflies dying in the heat, you know. <laughs> and there would be mosquitoes, I'll tell you, this air was so rich in vitamins <laughs> that you just hear the mosquitoes sucking air. They didn't even bite people. You just hear, you know, and mosquitoes by the millions. My grandmother would sit there in the middle of all of this. The stockyard is going full blast. There are 27 trillion mosquitoes. The temperature is 157 degrees and the stoop is slowly sinking into the mud and my grandmother is holding a piece of punk. She believed that punk chased away mosquitoes and she used to say punk makes the air cleaner and the mosquitoes are coming in. As a matter of fact, mosquitoes like punk. <laughs> there are many mosquitoes that are punk happy, you know. They get high on it, you know, it's terrible. Well, one of my earliest images is my grandmother sitting on the front porch with her little piece of punk. And you can smell the stockyards. The White Sox have just dropped a double header. That was only seven blocks away. That was two and a half blocks from the stockyards. The White Sox have dropped the double header to the Browns. You could smell that. And my old man sitting there saying, you know, Ma, I just got to say, there's no place like home. <laughs> and he would sit there with his glasses clouding up, you know, with the mosquitoes and the smell. And, and it's funny, when you take your father home, he begins to revert to his original characteristics. Like the minute my old man got got down into the south side when I'm a kid, you could see his eyes starting to shift. <laughs> He's looking for copper to steal, you know? He's looking for stuff. He's looking for things to break. And he's looking for fights. Well, one day, my father is an official father now. Have you ever wondered about all these kids you see in the, the Beatle world? That one day, they're gonna, the die will be cast. And they will have shuffed off somehow all of this peculiar past, this strange thing. 
And they'll walk around, they'll have suits. They'll have white shirts. They'll be at cocktail parties. They'll be holding this little martini. But inside is this wild-eyed, yelling nut that's hollering, Ringo! He's standing there like this. Deep down inside of him is that. And of course, sir, deep down inside of him, as there is in every one of us, is this one little element, this total spark of hell that we've all got. And that is the little side that says, why don't you just reach out, Charlie? And there you are at this cocktail party, and she's looking at you. That little spark says, why don't you just reach out and grab her? And you say, <clears throat> of course, uh, I suspect that Kierkegaard is largely misunderstood today. And she's got a little spark going, too. Well, one day, I, as a kid, came home and suddenly realized that moment. Have you ever had that terrible aha experience? You know what the aha experience is? It must have been the experience that Arthur Miller had when he suddenly discovered that his father was a totally unsuccessful salesman and a phonus balonus. How many of you remember that terrible moment of discovery when you discovered that your dad was a bum? Yeah. <laughs> oh, look at that crowd. I just discovered it. No, not really a bum, but he isn't quite what you thought he was. Quite what he thought he was. I am sitting on the front porch, the, you know, the front porch. How many of us have ever actually talked to our grandmothers? It's a very funny thing. Uh, yeah, that's something, you know, when we, I, I think that one of the reasons why man never learns from history is that he rarely ever does talk to people who've lived through it. And if he does, he says they're, they're silly old fools, you know? <laughs> they're old phonies. Well, I'm sitting on the front porch on the swing. How many of you remember sitting on a swing in a hot August night with the smell of the punk, <laughs> the mosquitoes humming all around, and my grandmother is sitting next to me. It was the rare moment when she actually said something to me other than just eat. You know, I don't know where, you know, I have to say this, in all honesty, when I came to New York, I was astounded to find that of my friends who are Jewish believe that this is a trait of Jewish grandmothers. Listen, I had a grandmother who used to stuff it in my ears. I mean, just like that, you know, she'd stick it in your mouth and pack it down. Then she would go to my cousin Buddy and start stuffing it in, you know. I'm serious. I mean, eat is a, a mother thing. So I am sitting next to my grandmother, and my father has just gone into the house, and he slammed the screen door. And, you know, this is, his, this is where he grew as a kid, see? The, the door goes, boom! And all of my life, my old man was going out of his skull every time I busted the screen. You know that thing where you come in from outside and the screen door goes slam? And he says, all right, turn around, go on back out. You come back in and close that door the way it should be closed. Oh, gee whiz. Oh, wow. All right. 
And then you come back, you open it up. And the old man sits there and says, that's better. Well, my father, coming off the porch of his house, he gets up, he walks in, boom, you hear the screen door. My grandmother says, come back here. <laughs> like a shot, my old man is in the door. What do you want, Ma? She says, close that door right. Oh, gee whiz. Wah. And I'm looking at my dad, you know. He says, oh, gee whiz. Well, I want to think. He closes the door and off he goes. And then she says, wash your hands. It was purely out of reflex action. I could see my grandmother <laughs> like the electric eels. There's a nervous mother. Worked out of reflex action. Well, I'm a kid, see, so I'm sitting there. And, and it's me all of a sudden that this lady knew my dad when he was a kid. <laughs> she wasn't just a grandmother, you know. She knew my dad when he was a kid, you know. Little did I realize she made him, you know. She actually invented him, see. But somehow your dad is very official, you know. He's, you never see him as a real kid. And, and once in a while my father would say, Oh, boy, let me tell you, when I was a kid, we were different. You don't ever think of him as actually ever being a kid. This is just a forensic argument. Well, my grandmother turns to me and she says, I hope you don't slam the door. I said, oh, yeah, I do. I do. And she says, Jeannie, did your father ever tell you about the time? I said, what, Ma? What, you know? She said, did he ever tell you about the time that he and the kid down the street, a guy named Dylan, were in jail for a week? And I said, in jail for a week? She says, yes, me and Pa had to go down and get him out. And I said, what for, Ma? And my father comes out with a, with a big thing of beer. And he stands there, and my grandmother turns to him and says, Jeannie, he was the first genie. He hated being called genie. Just as I, in my turn, hated being called genie, which he calls me. <laughs> the sins of the father are visited on the sons. You know, I always, oh, Dad, don't call me genie. He used to come out, you know, on the front porch when I'm out there playing second base eight blocks away. <laughs> He could whistle, you could hear him 14 miles away. You'd hear this, Wee Genie, come on in. Genie, oh. Oh, you know, don't call me Genie, Dad. Oh, wow, they all call me Chef down at the ballpark. Well, he was called Genie in his turn. And here he stands with this pitcher of beer. And my grandmother says, Genie, I'm, I'm telling Genie. I was called Little Genie to her. She, when you think of history, how silly it is, you know? She says, I was telling Little Genie about the time that you were down in jail with Dylan. And the old man gets pale. He says, uh, oh, well, you know, that was just, uh, uh, hey, uh, Genie, why don't you go down and play with Buddy? He said, uh, I stabbed, were you in jail? And he says, yes. Well, my grandmother says, 
Haven't you told him about it? My father says, well, you know, I mean, it's... No! And then it came out. One time, my father had been with another kid in the next block, and they had found a warehouse. And you know that uh, when you were a kid, this is a boy thing, do you remember looking in closed windows of places and feeling an insensate desire to get in there? You know that feeling? There's a guy that still does, yeah. In fact, he goes in, actually. No, this is a funny thing. And he had been out with his friend, and they saw this warehouse, and they broke in. And they were caught by the, by the watchman. And they spent one week in jail. And he never had told me about it. Well, from that minute, my father was another scene. From that minute, he was a hero. <laughs> no, seriously, you know, the idea that my father did something like this made him seem even greater. Well, one day, I am sitting in second grade. And I don't know how it happened. Oh, it was later than that. I must have been about in fifth grade. I was around 10 or 11. It was a hot summer, beginning of the year time, you know. I'm already an A average student. When all of a sudden, I got the hang up. It came in through the window. I got hung on amateur radio. Well, <laughs> you know what this does to you? I can't explain it to you. It's like discovering heroin or pot or girls or something, you know? And it just wipes out everything in your mind. You know, up to this point, I've been working on English. Up to this point, I would go home and the teacher would say, do a book report. And I would report on an actual book. Well, that's what kind of a snot I was. A book that I had read, you know? And I would go home and I would report on Black Beauty. Black Beauty is a very interesting book. How would you like to read some of your book reports today? <laughs> it is the best book I have ever read. It is about a horse named Black. His last name is Beauty. And, <laughs> you know... That kind of scene, you know, and I'm going home and every day I sit down and I had this, I had this thing after, you know, it was also a way of getting loved at home. After supper, I would sit at the kitchen table and do homework. You know that feeling of showing off? You got all the books, you know, you're sitting there and you're working on this equations and stuff. And your old man walks in, he says, what are you doing? He looks down at it. Remember, my old man with a seventh grade education, see? He looks down and... Real... You're very good at that, aren't you? What is this little thing here? He is, you know, he's, he's looking at one of those little fractional, you know, the, the little uh, reciprocal signs like that. He says, does that mean you're dividing one into two? I'd say, oh, Dad, you wouldn't understand that. And he would go in the john and cry. <laughs> you know? The new world was coming in, you know, and he knew it. Well, I'm, I'm that kind of kid, see, and I'm really working. And one day, the kid across the street named Lawrence Stryker, 
Now, I don't know whether girls have block leaders, but boys do. And this kid across the street was our block leader. He was about 15, tall. You know the kind of kid that wears the chinos? He's got the white shirt. He's got the sport jacket, the great bike. He's about seven feet tall, you know, and he's blonde, that kind of kid. He's got chicks. He plays tennis. And I'm this little squirt scene. I keep seeing him from the porch. There goes Lawrence Strikers. He's casual, you know, he gets on the bike and he rides down the street. Backwards, you know, riding down the street. <laughs> you know? And I, I'm still having trouble getting on my bike. And, you know, he's real cool. You know, the word is cool. He was a very cool kid. Well, I began to be a fan of his. And there was another kid who was also a fan of his, Schwartz. And we would follow him like, you know, kind of like minnows behind his whale. <laughs> wherever, wherever, wherever Stryker would go, there we'd be. And Stryker's playing ball. You know, he's, he's playing on the American Legion ball team. The senior ball team. He's got this baseball suit and he's got a red cap. And we're watching. And he hits, and he runs, and he feels, he does everything. And one day, Stryker let it out on the front porch that he built radios at night. He made radios. I never saw him at night. And this is what he did. And so that night, I'm sitting at the kitchen table. There's my, you know, all my homework spread out. And I knew out in the darkness, across the street, Lawrence Stryker was building radios. And my dad is over here at the sink. My father always had a great story. And the story was about the time he built a crystal set. <laughs> How many of you had fathers that talked about that junk, you know? Well, he built a crystal set. And now I see there's a connection between my father and Stryker. I'm sitting there. And I said, Dad, what is a grid leak? <laughs> the old man turned around like a shot. He says, what is a grid leak? I says, yeah, Dad, what's a grid leak? And he says, well, grid leak. I didn't know you were interested in radios. You know, that's my field. <laughs> uh, I, uh, agree. It's a very technical question you've asked. It's hard to explain it without going into some technical things, but it's, uh, for leaky grids. <laughs> I said, is that right, Dad? He said, yes. You see, grids have a tendency to leak. And, and a grid leak is a, is a thing which is like a drip pan. You've seen the drip pan on it. Little did I realize my old man was ad-libbing an entirely new electronic theory. Is you've seen the drip pan under the icebox at Grandma's house where the ice drips down? Well, that is like a grid leak. See, it's a little pan in the radio that keeps the grid from leaking. Which causes, by the way, it causes corrosion, which makes the cabinet, you know, you see the battery with the corrosion all that, that's what a grid leak is. I said, gee, Dad. <laughs> well, Dad, uh, what... What is an audio transformer? Oh, well, an audio transformer 
Well, uh, an audio transformer. Well, you see, there was a lady once named Audrey <laughs> who designed a transformer. Now, that became known as an audio transformer. It was like, a, you know, a little short a nickname for it, actually. I said, but Dad, what does it do? Well, you, you, you see, you put it between the tubes, and it makes the sound louder. Little realizing he was right for the first time in 25 years. <laughs> he just out of the blue took it down. I said, gee, that's interesting, Dad. And he says, well, why do you ask this? Well, I'd like to, I want to build a radio. I said, well, I can help you out there. I said, gee, Dad, great. Well, how about, where do you get radio parts, Dad? See, I wasn't, what I wanted to do, in with Stryker. I had no interest really in grid leaks at this moment. And the old man says, well, I'll tell you, you know that old radio we got in the basement? Come on down and we'll look at it and you'll find some old parts in there, and I'll show you how to use them. Well, now, my father had an old radio, which he had saved from his feckless youth. It was the radio upon which he had heard the A&P gypsies. <laughs> it was the radio that brought him the Clico Club Eskimos. It was the radio in front of which he had played out his greatest romantic scenes with my mother. And this radio was now in the basement under a pile of old tires. You know how basements are with the old ball jars and the tires and junk and the, the dead mice and all that stuff? Down in the basement was this one thing. Absolute rule. Don't you touch the radio. And now my old man and myself are going into the basement to get the radio out. Well, it had a Bakelite panel. And on the Bakelite panel in gold was Pan. Can you imagine it? On a radio, it had Pan playing these pipes. And he was wearing fur pants. He had these funny shoes, you know? And he was, I, I remember as a kid always going down there and looking at that radio and the Pan was blowing these pipes on it all the time. Had three Bakelite knobs. And my father took it out from under the tires, put it on his workbench, turned the light on, and says, now, I want to show you what these parts are. Now, this radio is, uh, is what they call a neutrodyne circuit. He had picked that phrase up from the catalogs. <laughs> he was using technical phrases, but I was, my father suddenly is 20 feet tall. He's fantastic, you know. He says, now this, you see this? This is what we call a trimmer condenser over here. I said, gee, Dad, what does it trim? He said, well, that's too technical to explain to you. Actually, it's said under a trimmer. <laughs> he says, a trimmer condenser. Well, for a half an hour, we talked radio. And my father is in the saddle. The saddle. Well, I go up, I start working my homework, and I... I'm all excited. I want to start working on radios. And now, you know, I'm beginning, at the very beginning, I'm faking my first book report. I'm already saying, uh, Black Beauty is a good book. Uh, Miss Robinette said it was good at the library. And, uh, and I'm looking through there, I'm looking for phrases. By the middle of the next week, I had gotten a book out of the library published by somebody called Open Road for Boys 
called Build Your Own Radio, and I was dead. <laughs> D-E-D, it caught me, you know, those fantastic diagrams. Tubes, you know, grids, plates, condensers with little arrows, all kinds of coils and transformers. And I'm reading about this. And by the middle of the next week, I have begun to get parts. Miss Robinette is dead. My fifth grade teacher. My mind is out of the window. It caught me. Well, it must have been like the bubonic plague of the Middle Ages. It was inescapable. And every day, all I could think about was radio. I'd sit there in class and I'd draw tubes. I'd look up and I'm drawing condensers. And somebody's talking about the Civil War. Well, by the end of the month, I am a D-minus student. Oh, it was terrible to get my report card, and I have plummeted. And my father gets the report card, and he takes one look at it and says, Come in here. I'm scared. You know that terrible feeling of being an A student and getting a D? And you know why you got a D? You've been cheating. You've been lousing up, but you can't stop. Well, I come in there, and I'm talking to my dad, and I says, Dad... It's because of radio. I'm interested in radio. And my father said the greatest thing he ever said to me. He said, well, I can understand that because I was never good in arithmetic either. <laughs> Which was an understatement, by the way. He says, I was never good in arithmetic either, but... You're going to have to do it for your mother. <laughs> My mother. <laughs> the great cop-out. He said, however, you and I will build a radio together. Well, I can't tell you how disastrous that was. <laughs> Within 20 minutes, it became obvious I knew more about radio than he did. And I'm saying, no, Dad, no, it's the 2,000 ohm resistor, Dad. And he says, 2,000 ohm resistor? Well, there's a resistor over here. I said, no, Dad, that's the 100,000 ohm resistor. This is WOR Radio, your station for news.